Hey there, listeners. If you like our podcast, the best way to support us and help us grow is by leaving a review. This helps our ratings and definitely helps me prove my high school guidance counselor was wrong. Gonna build a wall. (laughs) Gonna be the best wall you've ever seen. (laughs) Oh, man. I, I, we couldn't we couldn't talk about walls without doing it. I'm sorry. I legit it never crossed my mind. Welcome back to Gravel Trap F1. I'm Christina. I'm Caroline. As per usual, the Canadian Grand Prix was sometimes wet and always wild. With drivers trying to hit every wall except the wall of champions. So today, we'll be discussing all the walls. And at the checkered flag, our producer Buck hops on for another segment of Don't Take Debate. Let's get to it, bud. Christina, hit us with the formation lap. What are we talking about today post-Canada Grand Prix? Well, if you did not tune in to our live stream discussion about Canada on YouTube, you can go and watch it there. But we discussed briefly how some drivers came close to going into the barriers and then how George Russell firmly planted his behind into it, continued to try to drive (laughs) and then was like, "Mm, nah, that's done and retired the car. So, but drove well in the time that he was driving. I feel like it deserves to be said. He, He did drag that sad, bumped up little car as far as he possibly could, but she was done because she did go into a barrier. So I thought we would take a couple of minutes to go through the different kinds of barriers that we encounter on track. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So there are four of them. And I'm going to put you on the spot, Caroline. Oh, no. Just I'm dead. Just, just toss out the ones that you that you know of. I know about tire barriers. Yeah, the classics. I know about the ones that they use in Miami which are not tire barriers. They have like something like it's a different kind of padding. It's not a tire. It looks like Lincoln logs. Oh yes. That is tech pro tech pro. Yes. Then there's the regular, just the, I don't know. Does the wall count as a barrier like on street tracks? So it's technically not just the wall. They technically do put a barrier in front of that other wall. Okay. So it's not just a wall. They've they've done special things to it. But yes, looks like I a wall, so. but is actually a, a specific type of barrier. I think most of the it's time... It's a wall in disguise. I think most of the time that's the safer barriers. Gotcha. Yeah. which That's what it's called? Safer barrier? Safer, yes. And it stands for a thing. Oh. We'll go into that when we get into it. But I love that it's safer. Right? That's it's a so cute clever. name. There was, there was actually an old type of barrier that they used to use that was called PEDS, like P-E-D-S, which I, oh. I thought was so cute. It's like, wow, you named this after children okay that yeah. seems children's medical yeah health care <laughs> i feel like i'd be feel so weird talking about like oh yeah they ran right into the peds and you're like what? Right peds. <laughs> please don't please do not drive there uh, that's hilarious uh, but then okay so we hit tire we hit tech pro we hit safe safer d safer, safer. and then the arm co barriers oh yeah as in like... Grosjean. Yeah, that thing. Okay, okay. That was a whoops. Which yeah, tell me brings about us it. to the importance of A, picking the right barrier mm-hmm. for a given location. Because 
yes, they all serve the similar purpose of they want to disperse energy and they want to be relatively easy to repair depending on how accident prone the area is. But they also have to be set up properly. They have to be placed. They have to be set up so that way they don't fail like that one did. Yeah. You know, perfect storm. But thankfully, all of the rest of the safety features worked and he was fine. Yes. This is why we have backup plans. And he's still here Killing it over there in IndyCar. Well, well he made someone well, really mad in IndyCar this weekend, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. There wasn't a yeah, single person that Will Power was not mad at. Like, <laughs> he, he's got a list in red underlined. Check it once, yes. check it twice. Bold italics. Oh. Yes. Circling first over to the one that you described as the Lincoln Logs being the Tech mm-hmm. Pro barriers. So those ones are typically for areas with higher risk of high speed incidents. And we see them in those layers where they have one lining of them, as well as like a second and a third and a third. And that's the way it dissipates energy by having to move that whole line of barriers before it hits Mm -hmm. another one. So that's why they're not perfectly planted like one after the other and like touching each other because it takes force and energy to move the barriers, use the force. Um, (laughs) But okay, cool thing that I learned while I was researching this, (laughs) because... I had assumed that the two colors that they used, the red and the white or gray, was because they were matching the aesthetic of the circuit, right? Like, we have the strips along the side in the red and white because of the Marlboro Association from back in the day, blah, 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 blah. But I thought they were just matching. But no, it's because they're slightly different blocks. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So the red ones are absorbent, hollow, and flexible. But then the white and gray ones are reinforced and have a steel wall running through the middle. They have like padding wow. on the inside kind of a thing. But no, they, yeah. they're slightly different. So that way they can be used in a slightly different way. Oh, that's so smart. So they're like the clever. tire compounds, but for barriers. Pretty that's much. Brilliant. Well, And the best thing about the Tech Pro barriers, honestly, in my opinion, is that they've been designed so that way they can be replaced so easily. Yeah, But they get moved from an accident and you literally just have to line them back up. And then if any of them... Like Lincoln Logs. Exactly. And if any of them are too smashed to be used again, you lift them out and you bring new ones in, which... That's brilliant. So clever. It allows the race to continue. It keeps things safe, quick repair, yada, yada. Absolutely fantastic. Ticks all the boxes of good engineering. I love it. I I really like those ones. Yeah, those are good ones. Okay, so we've talked about the Grosjean, the... Um, Amco, right? Yes, that's the Armco. So that one is made of steel and it's flexible and it is meant to bend because that way, again, Mm. it absorbs energy. It's not meant to break the way Grosjean's did. That one, I believe, broke and it failed when Grosjean was driving through it. But it's also designed so that way the cars will actually keep running alongside of it. That way they don't end up tumbling back towards the track makes sense which is why a lot yeah. of times you just see cars hit barriers and instead of like bouncing ping pong ball off of it or they slide what's the game pinball pinball that's what i was thinking of yeah instead of pinball style it just glides down the side hmm quite clever where do you want the car to go it is not smart. into traffic again unlike the lincoln lock tech pro it's not easy to repair you bend it you break it you have a bigger repair job which is why you typically just like pick the places based on the likelihood of someone crashing into it. But again, how much space do they have? Do they have a big runoff area? Like with the Tech Pro barriers, you can actually have that space to put layers and layers of it. Or are you mm-hmm. in a city where 
the skinnier barriers are necessary. So that would Your be only the option. armcos yeah. and the safer barriers we had mentioned earlier. So those ones, if you look from the top looking down, you have the pre-existing wall. So whether that be a building or just like a cement block, they put down something. Then you have a steel block and sandwiched in between them, you have these crossbeam foams. So that way they like mm. go into the barrier, have that absorption and safer crash. And the safer sound stands for steel and foam energy reduction. Safer. Oh, I love that. Right. And those are primarily used on the street tracks? Yes. They are used in some other places in long sweeping turns with low impact angles, but they fit in street tracks. So you have a lot of them in Jeddah as well mm -hmm. as in Baku because there's nice. no room. Cool. So the final one is the tire barriers. Yes. And they're not just stacked one on top of the other. They're, they are actually connected in the middle. Um, they're bolted together. Oh, that's <laughs> an important delineation. Yes. They're, they're not just tires that they went and were like, ah, we better stack these and then put them in a corner, which I think from watching a couple karting videos, it gives you that impression. Because mm -hmm. I, I think that that's what they do at a lot of karting tracks because it's fine. But... <laughs> Not not an F one. I don't know why that I didn't. I really the crashes didn't just aren't it. as big in karting as they are in F one. That's true. But I also just didn't really think about tire barriers being this like designed thing that they actually put thought into. But of course yeah. it is. Just kind of some tires chucked. Just like in there. yeah, probably are done with these. <laughs> Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I donate your tires. Yeah. Also, I don't even think that it's Pirelli that makes these tires. I don't know who makes these tires, but they have them. They bolt them together yeah. and they sometimes have polypropylene inserts in the middle. Wow. Yeah. I assume that's, that's so cool. An absorbent plastic, but I like the tire barriers the best personally because it feels so motorsport. It's just like, yes, not only do we race on these, but these also save us. Last little feature that I'll add about them is that they sometimes have fences on the top of them. Which sometimes, Ooh, which oh yeah, I've seen those. Usually keeps debris from flying onto spectators, and sometimes yeah. it doesn't. Shout out to Australia and the piece of the Haas going into the audience, as well as Indy Bless. 500, the full tire yes. going onto someone's nuts. car. That was crazy. Like, that was so crazy. She got a new what? car out of that. They bought her a new Chevy. What? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I thought they just gave her like the VIP experience. That's yeah. great. I love to see that, but okay. That is all. We've hit the wall. Let us sleep over it. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> Christina, that was so good. I <laughs> loved that. <laughs> Speaking of hitting walls, let's talk about the Wall of Champions in today's Grand Prix segment. The Canadian Grand Prix is riddled with history. Robert Kubica's only race win in Formula One was in Canada. Lewis Hamilton's first ever race win was in Canada. He is actually often called the master of Montreal. I didn't actually didn't know that. I did actually did not know this before doing some of this research. He is called the master of Montreal, like Senna is remembered as the master of Monaco because he's won it like six plus times. And Jensen Button, when I think of Canada... And the Canadian Grand Prix, I think of Jensen Button because he had his historic, yes, 2011 race win. The safety, the safety car, the safety car was deployed five times in that race. So if we thought it was crazy in Australia, like 
that race was just so crazy. We've gone back and watched that race over again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if anything should have solidified Jensen Button as one of the greats, all you have to do is watch that race to know that Jensen Button was one of the greats. So there is a rich history at the Canadian Grand Prix. The circuit is named after, help me out, Christina. Gilles Villeneuve. Gilles Villeneuve. Uh, father of Jacques Villeneuve, who's the only Canadian driver to ever win an F1 championship, for those who might not know. And Gilles mm. had a famous run in his time in F1 with Ferrari, which brings us to some of the drama from the weekend that they said was kind of a, not, a non-issue. But I was like, I felt like it was made into an issue to then be made into a non-issue around Charles Leclerc's helmet. Mm-hmm. And apparently he like didn't ask the family if it was okay, but then he did ask the family and then the family was like, yep, it's fine. So then I was like, so why were we upset about it in the first place? But we won't get into it. We won't get into it. He got to wear the helmet. He got to honor the people and we love to see it. But the Wall of Champions. It was dubbed the Wall of Champions in 1999 when three world champions hit the wall during the same race in the same place, but not on the same lap. Um, it was Damon Hill, Michael Schumacher, and Jacques Villeneuve, a homeboy child of the one that the track is named after. They all hit the wall on the 13th turn of the circuit. It was not previously called the Wall of Champions until this. All three of them DNF'd as a result of their running with the wall. Four safety cars were deployed during the course of the race, which at the time was like a ton of safety cars. And um, he actually... It was, it was deployed four times. The three of them were not the only three to hit the wall as well during that race. Villeneuve's teammate, Ricardo Zonta, I hope I said that right, also crashed his car into the wall during that race. So their team, like, double DNF'd. It was a wash. After that race, it was dubbed the Wall of Champions because it claimed three world champions in one day, which I think is kind of poetic that now we saw three world champions on the podium this weekend, which was really special. And none of them have ever hit the wall of champions in a race. Yes. Max hit it in FP2 in 2019, but none of them have hit it in a race, which I thought was cool. Sebastian Vettel hit it in a race. Um, but yeah, Hamilton, Alonzo, Max Verstappen, all world champions, none of which have hit the wall of champions in a race. Pretty cool. Any questions, class? I don't have it about that wall, but I had a thought earlier where we were talking about walls and running into them. Do you think that certain sponsors would pay more to be on a wall that was protecting, like potentially going to get crashed into because you'd get more zoom ins? Absolutely. I bet you they do it. I bet you they already do it. But yeah, you just don't like advertise. You'd call it high visibility. I bet you it's like it's probably a big jockey to see whose whose ad is going to be on the wall of champions. I don't know. Though. Did we see anybody hit the wall of champions this weekend? No. I don't think we did. No, they no. had some kind of camera or sensor because they kept calling out how close people were getting to it. Yeah. So they have some way of knowing. I don't know if it's a camera mounted like right alongside it or some kind of like radar sensor, but they said that I want to say Leclerc was 10 centimeters was the closest Ooh. anyone got. I know Max got close. Max got close. And I don't know what that means. So, Christina, could you tell me what 10 centimeters is? Oh, my gosh. That's so American of you. (laughs) (laughs) Up next, we are doing Don't Take Debate with our wonderful producer, Buck Rogers. Buck, hit us with it. Okay, ladies. I don't want to put a wall between you two. 
gonna build a wall. It's gonna be the best wall you've ever seen. <laughs> oh man. I, I we couldn't we couldn't talk about walls without doing it. I'm sorry. I legit it never crossed my mind. Nothing could ever <laughs> put a wall between us. I love Christina too much. We have four topics to cover real quick here. The purpose behind this idea is in some of the these things I want you guys to talk about are about cost reduction. Everything they're doing in F1 right now is about reducing carbon footprint, reducing cost, uh, trying to make it more eco-friendly. And, and, you know, that will trickle down eventually to the fans who complain about the cost of going to these races. Maybe we can you know, reduce all these costs and make the whole sport a little bit more affordable. Um, first one being, what if each year the winning team gets either no wind tunnel time the following for the following year or they have to use the same car they don't get to build a new car it's like you if you win with the rb19 this year you have to race with the rb19 next year okay here's my question i'm gonna start with a question yeah to your question what does that mean for regulations right because if a regulation like a floor regulation changes Mm -hmm. and they can't use the floor from the year before are they then permitted to change the floor? In this bizarre scenario I'm coming up with, the idea is that the regulations aren't changing so much that you have to rebuild the car. We're just going to make make you modify this winglet here, or the, a different front wing there, or your rearview mirrors have to be shaped like this or something. But you, you're not rebuilding a whole new car. You can if you want, but... Mm-hmm the winner of the Constructors' Championship either doesn't get wind tunnel time or has to use the same car. And do they get to choose which one they do? No, either one of those scenarios. Oh, okay. I would say have them use the old car because they'll still be bringing updates and upgrades. And that's like, yeah, okay, you're still improving your car above everybody else, but you've figured out what works. But everybody else didn't. Or didn't figure it out as well. So allowing other people to change things, whereas you not so much. Yeah, sure. I think that would be another interesting challenge. I would never pick the no wind tunnel time. That just seems dangerous. Mm Because as good as your simulations and uh, computer can do, it's it's not the same thing as, as putting it in the wind. I agree. I agree with Christina. I think it, and I think if you ask the teams to choose, either keep, like if you gave them the choice, either keep the old car or no tunnel time, they would choose the old car because it just won a championship for them. Absolutely. Okay. Hot take. I think that should have been Red Bull's <laughs> penalty, but Ooh. they didn't ask me. So anyway. Um, I, the downside, or I guess the fault in my logic for this one, and I, I'll admit, is that not every first place team is going to be as far ahead yeah. as Red Bull is this <laughs> year. So it could... True. It, it definitely would dump someone into the midfield if they were ahead by a, just a little bit. Yeah. All right. Uh, number two, the entire F1 season being done in geographic legs. So you have a European leg, an American leg, a Middle Eastern leg, and an Asian Oceania, or yeah. what you call that mm-hmm. region, leg. Everything is scheduled in there so that they're not world hopping back and forth all the time. Well, yeah. I support this. Yes. And at the end of the day, I do think that's their goal. It's just that they have so many long-term contracts that they have to wait to expire. 
And then they also kind of dug themselves into a bit of a hole with doing testing and then the first race in Bahrain because there's um, there's a holiday in the Middle East that happens. I can't remember which one it is, but there's a holiday that happens almost immediately after Bahrain. And so then all of a sudden it's like, it might be after Bahrain, it might be after Jeddah, but basically they kind of dig themselves into a hole early in the season because they can only have one race by making that particular choice. Whereas if you start with Mm -hmm. Australia and then you go Asia, Middle East, like you start working your way eastward kind of a thing. And then you could go back to having the final race in Brazil, which... That'd be so cool. That slaps hard. But... Yes. You know, it makes more sense. Plus right now, Japan is in the middle of the monsoon season, I believe, still. Which has never made sense to me. It's a questionable choice. So... Yeah. And then you would have the Americas, like Canada and the Americas in um, the fall, which Mm -hmm. is decent racing weather still for the most part. And just make your way southward. (coughs) It's possible. I think we're going that way. I concur. I I, I, it's not a hot button, but it's definitely a strong opinion that I have about Formula One. It's that you definitely could make the schedule make more sense. Yeah. And that's all I'll say on that. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Number three. Mm -hmm. With one of the main focuses being automotive innovation, what if each team on the grid had to be partnered with an automotive manufacturer? No more independent teams. If you're going to be an F1, you have to be at the very least partnered and sponsored by a automotive manufacturer. So you could be Williams, but you'd have to be, you know, Peugeot Williams or... You know, for instance, Andretti is coming in with Cadillac. Like you have to have mm-hmm. an automotive or a ma- automotive manufacturer as part of your team so that the innovations and so forth are related to the common car, car. on the road. I like it. I like that idea. And then yeah. you also have, well, for example, you have WEC, which we just had Le Mans, and they have a separate category for if you're a privateer. Because they recognize that this is, it is a separate challenge. It is something different. You don't have the same resources. You're not competitive in the same way. Because, like, Williams made mistakes. And a huge part of what enabled that is that, yes, they are a private team. They aren't being backed by a company. You know, Ferrari, Mercedes, they're never going to run out of money. Someone like Red Bull were partnered with Honda, both of which have deep pockets. But at the end of the day, I do think that for the quality of the sport and also for the just overall, not aesthetics, but it just it makes sense to me to have it be it's a constructor's challenge. It's about making cars have it be car manufacturers that are participating. Yeah, I don't have an issue with it. I think that it makes a lot of sense in the current era that we're in in Formula One because there's so much interest in it. And I think as fans come into it, they like seeing those names that are familiar to them. I think it would be cool to see Porsche in Formula One. I think it'd be cool to see Audi in Formula One. I think it'd be cool to see Cadillac in Formula One because we recognize those. And I, I'm not speaking for all of America when I say this, but most Americans don't know that Alpine makes cars. You know what I mean? And so I think it would be cool. I think it'd be cool. I don't have anything against it. Okay. Alpine is a car though, right? 
It's made it? by Renault. Yeah. But it's, but they're a, also, it's, it's not a brand. It's a car. Isn't the Alpine like, I thought that was the whole, I've seen this was their like sports online car. that like you can buy an Alpine sports car. I think it, I think it's been, I think it's a part of the rebranding thing. I think it used to be an Alpine car by Renault, but mm-hmm. that now the whole brand is being relabeled as Alpine. Okay. Last one. And this is just circling back to something you brought up earlier. Uh, so I threw it in Bridgestone putting in a bid to be the sole tire supplier I don't know what goes into being a tire supplier, but I imagine Pirelli has a lot of manufacturing set up to create this many tires a year. Mm-hmm. And for them to stop doing that, I, I, I imagine they'd have to lay people off. I don't, I don't know what goes mm. into it. It just seems like a huge operation to stop making tires. So both scenarios, or whichever you guys think is best, I guess three scenarios. Bridgestone doesn't get the bid. Bridgestone gets the bid and is the sole provider or Bridgestone joins. And now we have two tire. We go back to two tire providers. The tire wars. Yeah. Uh. Reimagined like the force reawakens the tire wars reawaken. You're welcome for the star Wars reference. I get it now. Um, so here's the thing. I kind of agree with what Christina said earlier about them putting so much research and so much information into getting a better carbon footprint and having and kind of mastering the formula one tire, it feels a little retrogressive to then be like, ah, guess what? You're not doing it anymore. Now we're bringing in these new people. Like, do you expect them to share notes? Do you expect them to give over the research to Bridgestone? And I think that Bridgestone's capable. I don't think Bridgestone is incapable of handling it. They create and provide tires for other series. Mm-hmm. So they have the infrastructure for it. I would rather see the reemergence of the tire wars than cutting out Pirelli altogether. But my personal opinion might be playing into that because the Pirelli reps were so nice when I met them. So I just love Pirelli. Mm-hmm. I would say stick to Pirelli as well, because we just saw a switch happen in Formula E. Actually, this is a new tire brand this year. They switched from Michelin to Hankook. Mm-hmm. And there are wrinkles. There are things about this tire that drivers just do not like. And it's a new provider. They're starting from a kind of square one. So do you want to undo all of the progress and all of the work that Pirelli's been doing over these years, especially around this time where, again, yes, you are trying to redesign your tires in a major way to not need those heating blankets. But Overall, I don't think that they're going to be able to do that. I don't think they're going to be able to get rid of the blankets anyway. So that might just be a moot point. But either way, I I don't like tire wars. I think that that's just one too many elements. There's already so much going on. Just leave the tires as one manufacturer and leave it with Pirelli at this point in time. Revisit it later. But it's, it's too delicate yeah. of a moment right now, I think, to switch. Agreed. Focus more on bringing in some like good teams like Andretti and stuff yeah. as opposed to new tires. That's how I feel. One thing, Christina, I believe uh, they're, they're not called wrinkles. They're called tire treads. It's, it's um. a terminology thing. Here's <laughs> 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 my obligatory dad joke of the day. <laughs> All right, Spotify <laughs> listeners, you know what I think. You know what Caroline thinks. But now we want to know what you think. Scroll down to find the poll where you can share your opinion on whether or not we should have Pirelli, Bridgestone, or an all-out war. 
Well, ladies, that is all I have for you today. I'm glad I was able to successfully drive one wedge between you, and that was the subject of tires. You disagreed on that? Am I? Am I? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a very soft kind disagreement, of. but okay. <laughs> you, Caroline won the tire We're... wars. Christina didn't. I win. Not that it was a competition. Yeah, I just said I would rather I would rather see the tire wars than them get rid of Pirelli altogether. Yeah. But I want to keep Pirelli. Yeah. So. That that just baffles me. I can't imagine what it would take for a company like Pirelli to to just scale stop. back. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. That'd be shocking. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Gravel Trap F1 podcast. It was a delight to have you here with us to talk about Canada walls and all the different barriers if you want to hear all of our thoughts on the canadian grand prix head over to our youtube channel where we did a live stream and it gave you our immediate reactions of the canadian grand prix until next time thanks meow meow You're my wonder wall. I just thought of it like as we were in the middle of it. I was like. <laughs> <laughs>